Today is the second message in our series called Wise Up. So we're going through and looking at different themes and messages and stuff in the book of Proverbs through the summer. Uh, looking for some wisdom. Anybody agree with me that we could use some wisdom in our world today? Um, yeah. <laughs> going into election year. Lord, please, somewhere, <laughs> give us some wisdom. Um, if you weren't here last week or haven't got a chance to listen to the message, Pastor Dave did a really great job introducing what kind of the book of Proverbs is about. It's not a book of promises, it's a book of Proverbs. So that means it's kind of like God's life hacks, it's best practices. It's generally true of, of things that we experience. Um, so it's a great idea to learn from. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, go do that. Um, not right now, because I would be very offended. Um, no, but, and if, when you see Pastor Dave when he gets back, you know, ask him how Rwanda was and, and, um, and tell him, you know, that he's a pretty good speaker. Tell him, like, you know, he's doing, he's getting better, you know. He's about to retire and he's almost to that point where he's like, the, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. So, um, we're going to start today with, uh, with the first few verses of Proverbs 1. Would you stand with me? And we're gonna just read from God's word together. This is such a great introduction to what this book is really about. I'm trying to remember. I think I actually have it in, I think I have it in a different version, which would be hard to read along together. So let's do this. Here we go. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, for understanding Proverbs, parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, that through your word, you would uh, just illuminate what we need to see, what we need to hear. Um, God, in all of this, I pray that, we would, that it would bring glory to your name. And that, God, we would see how awesome, how powerful, how mighty, how wise, and how loving and kind you truly are. And so, God, I pray, teach us today and help us to grow in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Pastor Dave also encouraged us to read one chapter of Proverbs each day. Do you remember that? If you were here, um, this idea of there are 31 Proverbs, so you can read the proverb that corresponds with the date. So today is the 18th. So which proverb did we read? 18. You guys, A plus. That's amazing. I, I, we could just stop right now. In closing, no, I'm just kidding. You're not getting out that easy. Um, so if you've ever been at the wrong end of someone pursuing selfish ends and starting quarrels, uh, this is what Proverbs 18.1 says. So here, I'm already helping you out. If you haven't read it yet today, we're going to conquer verse 1. It says, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. People like to start stuff. Have you ever noticed that? The way that this stands out the most to me is when I was about 
19, 20 years old, I was walking through the backyard of my sister's house out in the country in Hillmar. And they have one of these old houses, like Victorian, it's really cool. And so, the, you know, the, the second story goes way, way up to this peak. And I was just walking through the backyard, literally minding my own business. I mean, I couldn't have minded anything else anyway. I was just thinking about what I was going to eat or something. And I'm walking through, and from the peak of that Victorian home, a yellow jacket dive-bombed me and stung me three times inside my ear. Do you understand how painful that is? And I, I wasn't doing anything. It wasn't like I had a mower or, you know, I was throwing rocks at it or anything. I was just walking. And isn't that a lot how sometimes anger happens in us or to us? It's like you're just kind of going through your day or, or, or trying to take care of stuff. And then, wham, out of nowhere, anger just strikes. To this day, I hate yellow jackets with a passion. I'll take a snake or a spider before I like to be around yellow jackets. My family will tell you the story of how I once broke a weed eater trying to kill a yellow jacket. It's not the most effective tool. But Proverbs 18 goes on to say in verse six, fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They're asking for a beating. Ever, you ever been asking for it? Let me just tell you, you have, because you've been a kid at one time or another. And kids have this great ability to ask for it. And I'm not talking about, you know, abuse or whatever. I'm just talking about the need for, you know, gentle instruction. And in verse uh, 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. And for some of us, we're sitting here today and we can think of that friend that used to be our friend before that happened, you know, before the pandemic or before some politics or something online or something happened, there was a misunderstanding or there was a, an offense and you know full well at what it's like to be barred and gated <clears throat> and separated like that. Looking back over the course of our lives, we can see the damage done by anger, by arguments, by fighting that we've experienced. And I know and I just want to acknowledge that for some, this hits home in a real way right now in this moment. And I just want you to know that if this is something you struggle with, if this is something you've struggled with <clears throat> from somebody that you're around, that God is here. His grace is enough. He's able to bring healing even into that situation. And we're going to look at maybe some of the ways that he can help us today, okay? <clears throat> so um, if you've dealt with anger, 
And you have, if you drive, you've dealt with anger. Some of us struggle more with anger than others of us. Some of you are angry because we're talking about anger. And what do the rest of us say when someone's anger? It's the universal solution that never works. We say, calm down. Super effective. It's as effective as a weed eater with a yellow jacket. It never works. You ever been boiling over with anger and someone tells you to calm down? Your response is, oh, thank you. That really helped me so much. The truth is most of us don't want to be angry. We don't put that on our list of goals for the year. Like this year, I hope to be an angry person. Let me raise my level of anger. No, we, we never do that. Only we would say we want to be less angry. But that can be a challenge, right? It can feel like something just takes over. It's like for some, even the thought um, of, of not being angry just seems foreign almost. Just because so much has happened and we've lived a certain way for so long. For some of us, even though we've put a lot of effort to try to reduce the anger in our life, it seems out of control like a forest fire and all you have is a squirt gun. So what are ways we can reduce our anger? We can't do it by pretending we're not angry. Have you ever tried that? <clears throat> or trying just willpower. Don't get angry, don't get angry. <clears throat> Some of us deal with our anger by getting angry at ourselves for being angry. How does that work? Another popular method is venting, which is great because now two people can be angry. <laughs> it's like, I'm really angry and I know that I can bless you and get you as angry as I am. Some of us have given up and just decided that maybe we just have an angry personality. It's not one of the personalities. It's not a personality type. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have to submit everything in our lives to God. That's part of following. That's what it means to follow him. His goal for us is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and reflect who Jesus is by how we live. And it's super easy, right? No, it's tough. It's hard and we all know it. We know God doesn't lose his temper and yet we would say, but Pastor John, you don't know what I deal with. And you're right, I don't. Don't know exactly what you're dealing with. But trust me, I have plenty of opportunities to become angry. <clears throat> Maybe you would agree with this statement. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have to manage my anger if people would manage their stupidity. Or maybe this one, people say everything happens for a reason, so remember when I punch you, I have a reason. <laughs> and one more, anger is a feeling that makes your mouth work faster than your brain. Hmm. To that I would say the truth hurts. Ouch. What's interesting is Jesus connected anger with one of the Ten Commandments. Do you know which one? It's, it's thou shalt not murder. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Talk about going from zero to Mach 20. Like, I'm not talking about murdering somebody. Well, remember what God looks at. He's always looking deeper, right? Past the surface. He's looking at our hearts. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 21, 22. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Ah, Jesus, why does he always have to go there? It's like we can keep the basic things. We, it's, you know, most of us have done a pretty good job not murdering anybody. We've thought about it. Maybe even kind of made some plans. But we haven't done it. So it's like, good. And then Jesus comes along and goes, but I can see your heart. And some of the thoughts you have about your brother and sister, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm the youngest of six. I know my siblings had thoughts. <laughs> because I used to have these little pointy cowboy boots. And I don't know how, but when I got frustrated, they would wind up, the boots would like take over and like kick them in the shin. Then I would run away crying. My mom would get after them. It was a great situation for me. Jesus goes on to talk about if I, if I call someone raka, which basically means a worthless idiot in anger, it will birth murderous intentions in my heart. I can't even tell you how many idiots I see driving around all the time. So easy to slip into this, isn't it? Paul even warns about the consuming effects of anger. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That whole sun going down thing, I can't even tell you. There's, there's been moments in my marriage where I'm like, oh, that whole sun going down, okay, I guess... I'm sorry, honey. You have to try to make up with your spouse before the sun goes down. I don't know what happens. Like, do you turn into a bat or, you're, you, you know, the, the, the whole like, thing changes and, and you're, you have a glass slipper? That's, that's a different story. So, but Jesus tells us there's a better way. God is calling us to live in a different way. He calls us to reflect who he is. So what's God like? I want you to hear the way the psalmist describes him. It says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Again, in Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The same in Psalm 145, 8, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Notice it doesn't say God doesn't get angry, right? It doesn't say that God never gets angry. It says he's slow to get angry. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. So what do these say about our God? He is compassionate, which means he understands our suffering. Some of the anger that we experience in our life comes from pain, comes from hurts, comes from trauma that we've experienced in our past, or maybe in our this morning and that can produce anger inside of us but God says I understand that I have grace for that and that's the next thing he says that it says he's gracious which means he gives good things to us 
because he loves us, not because we do certain things. You know, some people think, oh, I gotta, I gotta go to church so God will love me. <clears throat> he loved you when you were wherever, at the bar, at the whatever, he loved you. He's gracious. He's not looking for a performance. That's so weird to us, isn't it? Because we live in a world where everybody's looking at our performance. Everybody's expecting us to, to do certain things so that we can be good enough. How many of us ever struggle with, I'm not good enough? <clears throat> can I just tell you today, you're good enough for God. Because you don't have to be some kind of, meet some kind of measure. He loves you no matter what. And then as it said, as I said, it says slow to anger. So he is patient with us. He's patient for us. He, he leaves room for us to grow. You ever taught your kid to ride a bike? They don't get it the first time, right? They never do. You got to run behind holding the seat, you know, trying to keep up. You put training wheels on. When you first get a bike for a kid and they get on there and try, and if they fall, <coughs> you don't throw the bike to the side and push your kid and go, you're never going to learn. No, you're, you're patient with them. It takes time to learn. And God gives us that space. Then it says he's abounding in love and faithfulness. So in the middle of all this, it's weird that he's had slow to anger and abounding in love. Slow to anger and abounding in love. Slow to anger and abounding in love. That means God's anger is always put into the context of his love. Like I said, we're going to look at that a little bit later. So if that gives us a glimpse of how God is towards us, how can we become more like him? What wisdom can we gain from this book of Proverbs? We live according to his wisdom. It tells us hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. So we're going to look at these three verses of Proverbs and see what wisdom we can gain. Let's, uh, let's go. Here we go. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Have you ever been offended? It's like asking, are you American right now, right? Like we live in a society today that is offended, offended, offended all the time. Everybody is offended. Everything we say is offensive. We have to walk around like, oh, you know, you can't have a conversation. You can't have a belief. You can't have anything that doesn't offend somebody. Pastor Dave used to say that during the, the whole kind of lockdown time, it was like, even us as pastors, we were like going, how can we, how can we navigate this? Because we have some people in our church who are like, oh, we should all, you know, hardcore on masks and, and you know, all these and, and the vaccines and everything. And other people were like, oh, no, the vaccine is this. And, and, and it's like both the same family. Some of you had that in your family. It was hard, right? It was hard because you knew if I say this, these people are going to be mad. But if I say this, these people are going to be mad. It's like we live in this perpetual thing of who, who am I going to offend next? I probably offended somebody right now just by saying that. 
So what wisdom do we need to absorb from this today? Number one is this. God's wisdom allows me to look past offenses. It's an incredible skill. It's like a superpower. When somebody does something to us and we're able to look past it. On a scale of one to five, where one is like, I have thick skin, nothing really ever gets to me, and five is like, <clears throat> everything bothers me, everything offends me, I'm, I'm super easy to offend. Where are you on that, one to five? I want you to, like, if you're, if you're willing to, just make a confession public right, right now and hold up a number in your hand, ready? One, two, three. All right, now I want you to, to do the same for the person you're sitting by. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. You will offend them. <laughs> you got pet peeves. You got, you got things that just like, you know, like, <clears throat> it makes me mad when someone blank. I'll tell you what, of mine, I've got a few. One of them is people that throw their trash on the ground when there's like a trash can right over there. I'm always like, oh, okay, because it's our job to pick up after you, which was, I'm sure, what my mom felt when I was growing up. Another one, and my wife and I were actually talking about this yesterday. We were, I picked her up from the airport in San Jose, and we were driving back through the wonderful experience of traffic um, coming from the Bay Area at the end of the day. And... Uh, she was like, oh, it just drives me crazy when somebody gets on the far left lane and then goes under the speed limit. Bother anybody else? I was like, yeah, that drives me crazy too. But, you know, it's just one of those things. You could consider this kind of a public service announcement. If that's you, you could help a lot of us out. It would be like a miracle. We would be praising God like crazy. But the truth is, is that if I were to ask you today what your pet peeves are, you could probably, you know, come up with one or 200. But I'm, my prayer is even through this message, because this is what God wants for us, is that God will replace your pet peeves with his great peace. Because he can do that. See, this isn't asking you to just try to do better. This is inviting God into this experience of our life and saying, God, will you help me to look past offenses? He does it in a few different ways. And you can write these down. How does God, how does his wisdom help me be less offendable? To look past offenses. Number one is he changes my perspective. He changes my perspective. I tend to see the world as I am the main character and everybody exists for me. Is that okay? Does that work? You know, it's kind of like, you ever think about that? That you're like, the, you're like the star of your movie and everybody else is just kind of supporting cast? And it's a bummer when they're not doing their part right, right? They're not supporting like they're supposed to support. 
And that's a perspective that is selfish, but God wants to change our perspective so that we're starting to see them as people that he loves, people that he died for, people who need grace and mercy, people who need to experience his love. Sorry, my throat always bothers me. It's a wonderful air we have. The second thing is he changes my priorities. Ha ha. I kind of want God to mess with my priorities. But again, my priorities are based on myself. They're based on what I think should happen, when it should happen. I want it and I want it right now. And God's priorities are vastly different, right? Because we're kind of just focused on this, this little life. You know what the Bible tells us our life is? It's, it's, a, it's a vapor. It's here one day, gone the next. And we, put, we invest so much, and we, and we, and we, should, we should. We should do the best we can with our life, but realizing that our life is temporary. We tend to see eternal as temporary, and our lives as permanent as the most important thing. And God's saying, I want you to see beyond that. The third one is that he changes my pace. And we're gonna look at that again a little bit later, but his wisdom helps us to be less in a hurry. (laughs) It's really hard to love people when we're in a hurry. Oh, let me help you, but I gotta help you in the next 17 seconds. That's, That's tough. You see someone broken down on the side of the road, and you're like, oh, but I got to get my kids to soccer. And we do. We have a lot going on. But what would it look like for us to be able to have time to love people? God's wisdom helps me look past offenses. But, but what can I do to, to keep from raising the level of anger. Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What is that saying? There's two types of responses that we can have. Gentle answer and harsh words. Gentle, harsh, gentle, harsh. And there's two different results from those, right? Gentle answer takes wrath and goes, oh, why don't you move over here and just go on by? Harsh words says, bring it on. Bring on the anger. Let me stir it up. Let me make it even bigger. And this kind of says, talking about what we say, but it even goes even deeper just to our responses because we know communication goes a lot further than just what comes out of our mouths. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you that my facial expressions say it all. So so many times I get in trouble, not because of what I said, but because of how I said it. There's this whole thing about tone of voice and, and rolling of the eyes and flaring of the nose that I feel oblivious to half the time. So what is my response? Is it gentle, is it harsh? What's my initial reaction? Is my initial reaction gentle, gracious, kind, loving, humble? Or is it harsh, biting, mean, impatient, spiteful, malicious, hateful? So we are 
creating conditions. You think about how you start a fire and, and the conditions to, to stoke the fire is you, you add <clears throat> good, dry, seasoned wood and maybe like diesel fuel or something. But if that fire represents anger, what do you want to do? Get the bucket, right? Pour the water on top of the fire. That's what a gentle answer can do. I know this is true because I used to look for I used to work for Al Chevron on gear. I don't know if any of you've been in Turlock long enough to remember remember Al Chevron. And uh, I got the job because my friend quit after being held up at gunpoint. I thought, oh, that sounds like a good job. Anyway, um, I was in college. I thought, you know, I can work the graveyard and then I can get up, get off work, and go straight to class. <laughs> my first class was art history. Comfortable seats, turn off the lights. I don't remember half that class. Just gonna be honest. But Al had this habit of, you know, when I was off on the till by, you know, a couple hundred dollars or whatever, he would come in, he'd be very upset. I don't know why. Um, But he was expecting me to respond in kind. He was expecting me to get angry as well, to raise my voice, and then we could just have this argument, and then he could win. But somehow, because of how I'm wired and how I was taught and because I don't want conflict, I would respond like like this. I'd say, Al, you're right. I'm very sorry. I'm doing my best not to let that happen again. And it's funny because he didn't know how to take that. He would be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, try, try not to do that. And, and he would walk away. And I was like, this, is, this works, this whole, this whole gentle answer. It's kind of like if you happen to accidentally come upon a, a, like a hornet's nest, like in the woods or, or in a shed, what do you do when you first come upon it? Do you go, you know what I need? It's a stick <laughs> or some rocks. And you start throwing it or sticking the stick into there. No, that's, that's what's called foolish. The wise thing is you treat it like they are the emperor and you just back away slowly, not turning your back, bowing and trying to be very quiet. That's the proper way to respond to that. And I wonder if we could learn something from that when we come upon a tense situation. A situation where we can tell, because you can tell, come on. You could tell when somebody's already kind of amped up. When somebody's already kind of raised the level, is it helpful? We already know it's not helpful to say calm down. Is it helpful to go, oh, You've got a fire going there? Here's some wood. Here, here's, here's some more anger to match your anger. Has that ever helped the situation? No. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So this is number two. God's wisdom softens my reaction. There's a lot of power in the way that we react, our expressions. And ultimately, God calls us to do what with our neighbors? 
to love our neighbors. He literally commands it. Does that mean we only need to love those who are easy to love, the ones who bring us homemade salsa and like smile and wave? No. It's the ones who, you know, throw rotten fruit into our yard or whatever. Our reactions have an impact. Did you know that? You know that every day your actions are having an impact on the world. There are ripple effects that are happening from your life, from my life. I like what Michael Jr., the comedian, says. He said, when I make an appearance on stage, there's a line of people afterwards waiting to talk about what I said, and they tell me how it affected them. And then he said, what would happen if at the end of your day today, there was a line of people waiting to talk to you about what you said and did today? It's interesting to think about, like how, how are people impacted by my life? The final verse is this, Proverbs 17, 27, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. See, we need God's help to, to soften our reactions, to use restraint, and the reality is, a lot of times our reactions are connected to our impatience, connected to our hurt, and that's why we need to latch onto this. What can we see here? He's contrasting two internal realities, right? And they produce very different outcomes. What is the difference between having patience and being quick-tempered? For me, the biggest difference here is speed. Because for some of us, it's like we're walking around with a handgun with no safety. And so the first time there's something that happens it's bang. And what we're asking God to do here is to help us put the safety on our anger, to slow down enough to let his grace and his mercy work through us. It's not easy, but it's possible with God. Imagine taking two separate trips you want to check out Yosemite. You guys been to Yosemite? If you haven't been to Yosemite, you need just leave right now and go there. No, no, because you don't. If you didn't pre-buy a permit, you can't get in. But anyway, the first trip you take to see Yosemite is actually from a 737, flying at 35,000 feet, looking down through this little window, trying to see. Oh, those mountains right there. That might be. Say, oh, I think I saw half, oh, it's gone already. And then pretty soon you're past. That's, that's one experience of Yosemite, right? The other one would be for you to get in your car. You bought the permit, <laughs> you drove there and, and you, you drive to the valley there or maybe up to one of the trailheads. You get out of your car, get your backpack with snacks and stuff in it and put the water in there get out, you just, you just walk and go up to the Yosemite Falls and just feel that mist coming off there. You look out in the meadow and you see deer 
I did a wedding one time in Yosemite Valley, and right at the end of the, of the ceremony, two deer walked through. I was like, did you guys pay for that? Because that was cool. But like you look up at El Capitan, you see Half Dome. Two very different experiences. What made the difference? It was the speed. It was the, the time that you took. One was very fast. Why? Because I'm in a hurry. I got to get somewhere. The other one was I want to take in. I want to experience God's beautiful creation. Well, I got news for you, folks. You're sitting with some of God's beautiful creation. When you leave the parking lot today and there's a line of people and somebody's not going when you think they should go, they're part of God's beautiful creation. Can we slow down long enough to see the beauty in who God has put around us, even the ones we disagree with, even the ones with angry personalities. The people in our lives are part of his incredible creation. We need to replace hurry with wonder. And sometimes we could even respond that way. When somebody does something <clears throat> that would normally kind of start a fire inside of us, we could just stop and go, wow, bless your heart. <laughs> I know, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> Number three is this, God's wisdom puts the brakes on my anger. When I pastored a small church in Wyoming, I was driving through the, 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 the town on, on one of the main streets, the only street that had uh, traffic lights, and um, somebody else was not meeting my expectations in the operating of their vehicle. And um, they're, they're getting too close, and then they're waving in, and they're going in and out of, of the lanes right ahead of me, and I'm like trying to slow down. It's just, oh, it's just getting so frustrated with, with how, um, I mean, they obviously like needed to sign up for lessons or something, or just never drive again, I don't know, but um, I was, they, they, the, the light turned red ahead of us and this person <clears throat> slowed down and stopped and I knew I was gonna be pulling up right beside her and my thought was this might be an op a learning opportunity for her if I could communicate my displeasure <laughs> in certain ways and so I'm, I'm pulling up and I look over ready to explain to her and the first thing I hear is, hey, Pastor John. <laughs> and I was like, hey, how you doing? And I hope that she didn't see my face before that because it was not communicating. <laughs> Jesus loves you at that moment. <laughs> Bless her heart. So I needed wisdom to push the brakes on my anger. I, I needed to just take a beat, take a second. Where could you use some brakes? 
Or could you use some opportunities to slow down and line at a store with children, with fellow employees or other students, with customers or clients, with those who are in a hurry, with those who aren't in a hurry, who are driving in the left lane. James 1, 19 through 20 underlines how slowing down is essential for living a righteous life before God. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Did you hear what that said? Human anger. You might be asking, is all anger wrong? But we've already answered that, no. Because it doesn't say God doesn't get angry, it said he is slow to anger. Oh, there's that idea again, slow. Jesus sounded pretty angry, didn't he? When he went into the temple and there were money changers and all that going on, he, he didn't go up and say, oh, excuse me, excuse me, can you, can you please move your table? No. He flipped the table over. That does not sound like gentle, meek Jesus to me. He was angry. He was ticked off. Why? Well, if you know about how the temple worked, that was the only place where the non-Jewish believers could come and worship. And they were taking it up with this like livestock and noise and stuff. You ever try to worship in the middle of just chaos? And Jesus is like, you're ruining it. You're actually preventing people from drawing close to God. And it made him angry. Righteous anger is almost always about looking out for the defenseless, the voiceless, the oppressed. In Mark 3, we read an incident where the ones who were, they they thought they were better than everyone, right? And they bring this guy with with a crippled hand to Jesus. And they don't care about the man. They want to catch Jesus doing something he's not supposed to do. So they're like, hey, Jesus, this man is crippled. Ha <laughs> ha, what are you going to do? And I love what it says. It says, Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And then it says this, he looked around at them <clears throat> in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. See, God, it's so crazy. God's in the middle of restoring and healing and and bringing life. And some people are like, I just wanna cause problems. So if human trafficking upsets you, what should you do about it? Yell, scream? or volunteer it without permission, or donate to one of the ministries that that helps rescue people. If racism and abuse makes your blood boil, and it should, what could you do about it? It's not, now we need to go and abuse the abusers or go scream at the racist. It's standing with those who are being attacked. This hits home for me because my daughter lives in San Diego. My oldest, I don't know if you know her or not, but she, she's black. And in San Diego, and it happened in Seattle too, 
some stranger out of nowhere started screaming at my daughter, calling her the N-word. So yeah, it's personal to me because that's not okay. It's never okay. But our job isn't to go beat up the person who's saying it. Our job is to stand with the person. See, understand this about God's anger. God's anger never supersedes his love. So think about 1 Corinthians 13 when it says love is patient and kind and all of these things. So in the middle of God's anger, he's still patient. He's still kind. He's still filled with love. That's the difference between godly anger and human anger. Does that make sense? Let's be honest, much of our anger is not really that reflective of who God is. And I know for some of us in this room today, maybe you're sitting here going, John, I, I know. Anger has, has caused a lot of damage in my life. And for some of us, it wasn't anybody else, it was, it was me. I know there are things in my life that I've done out of anger that I regret. People that say they have no regrets in life, I don't get it. Because <laughs> I look back and I would take that back in a heart. I wish I could go back in time and do it differently, but I can't. I'm thankful today that God's grace is bigger than my mistakes. It's bigger than the hurt and the harm that I've caused. And it doesn't relieve me of the responsibility to go and try to make it right, to ask for forgiveness. That still needs to happen. What's great is that it's not just my own abilities And it's not just yours either. It's the wisdom of God. It's the presence of God in our lives that can help us to live differently, respond differently, love differently. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you today that you call us to something better. And that that something better isn't based on us just trying harder. I mean, there's effort, God, but we're not doing it alone. We don't have to try to just figure it out on our own. Your word gives us wisdom and ways to to respond that, that show care and love and compassion that slows us down from our anger that helps us to choose a different path. And God, I pray for those right now who have been deeply wounded by anger. God, would you send just through your Holy Spirit, through your presence, just a healing work in their lives. God, whether they're talking to a counselor or a friend that's praying with them or whatever it is, God, let there be a healing work in their life. God, and I also pray for those who who are angry, struggle day after day. and They don't want it in their lives. They don't want to be angry. 
that just seems impossible. God, would you do a miracle? Just an absolute miracle. God, would you just enter their hearts, their lives, their schedules, their workplace, their school, their home, and bring change, bring growth, even a little bit at a time, God, but begin that process of them softening their responses, of them giving time, of them looking past the fences. God, give them that supernatural, God-given patience. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us so much, giving us this opportunity just to hear from your word today. I pray, God, your blessing, your strength, and your mercies over every single person here. God, give them an awesome day. In Jesus' name, amen.